This morning's reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 31, to chapter 14, verse 14. It can be found on page 1082 of the Pew Bibles. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do, know, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. In our prayers for others this morning, we're going to pray for Simone, who has left uh, to go to Germany for some orientation before she heads uh, to Nepal uh, for her year with OM. So let's join together in prayer for Simone and for the needs of our world now in our prayers for others. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, thank you for those words that we find in Psalm 2. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice 
with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Almighty God, King of kings, Lord of lords, we pray that what is contained in your word here in Psalm 2 will be true for the President of the United States, the future ruler of Gambia, the next Northern Ireland executive, that they would have a holy fear of you, that they would be wise and take refuge in you so that they can avoid your wrath, avoid the one who laughs at them, so that they can know the one who raises up and tears down in a moment their leadership, governance, and plans for his own ultimate purpose, glory, and great name. Father, we pray for world leaders and local politicians that the need to be strong in leadership and governance would not lead to arrogance and pride and folly, but rather it would lead to humility, wisdom, and grace as they serve and seek the best for their people and the world around them. Lord, we ask today, give us what we don't deserve so that your name may be praised. Father, we lift before you Simone this morning. We thank you for her time with us as a church family over these past eight years. Lord, as, she had, as she's in Germany, we pray for her time there with other uh, Operation Mobilization people. And as she gets orientated and ready for Nepal, we pray that you'll give her journeys mercy as she heads there. We ask that you will prepare her heart and her mind for this next year. Help her in her study and reading of your word. May it bring much food for her soul. Help her to pray and lead her by your spirit to be faith-filled and ready to share the good news of Jesus in word and deed in Nepal. Lord, do a good work in her as she goes to that country. May she see much of God's work evident in what she does and in her own life too. May she know the prayers of the saints here as she continues throughout this year, and we lift her before your throne of grace this morning. Lord, we bring before you those sad situations in Italy at this time. We pray for those who've lost loved ones because of the avalanche and those in the bus crash. And Father, we bring before you our concerns and burdens this morning, knowing that so often we lack the discernment to know the way forward. We lack to find out what is truth, and we don't know what is best in life. And yet we come to you, Lord Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so in this moment of quiet, we bring our worries and our sadness, our joys and thankfulness to you now. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, bless us as we continue in our worship of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. During the week, I was thinking about moving house. No, I'm not uh, thinking of leaving this area. I was thinking about uh, the number of times uh, the Adleys have moved house. I wonder how, how often you have moved house. Well, it, uh, I counted it up, and we came to, in the <laughs> years of marriage, uh, to, I think, 16 or 17 times. 
so we know something about moving. We know something about moving. And I was thinking about that because Jesus' time to go had come. He knew he was moving. In the first part of John's Gospel, on a number of occasions, he doesn't respond to uh, suggestions from the disciples and indeed requests because he says, my hour has not yet come. And then in chapter 12, when uh, the, we know them as the Greeks come to him, will come to the disciples, and Andrew comes to Jesus and says, there are some Greeks who want to see you. Jesus responds in a strange way. He says, my hour has come. The time had come. And then in chapter 13, we were looking at, at it last week, uh, when our Lord uh, talks to Judas Iscariot. He knew his time had come. Judas was going to betray him, hand him over to the authorities. And he said, what you're going to do, do quickly. And at the <clears throat> beginning or, of uh, our reading this morning, and can I invite you to turn to John 13 and verse uh, 31. In, in verse 30, we read, as soon as Jesus, uh, as, excuse me, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. And when he had gone, Jesus spoke to his disciples. He was, he had to prepare them for going. He had to prepare them for going. And he knew what lay ahead of him. What was it? Well, it was the treachery of Judas when he would be betrayed very shortly with a kiss, the denial of Peter, the weakness of the disciples, the mockery of the trial, the cruelty of the soldiers, the abuse of the crowd, the contempt of the religious authorities, and the blood and the gore of the cross, the humiliation, the agony, the desolation, the shame and the ugliness of it all. And that was all going to happen in the next 24 hours, less. We sometimes forget that. This was Thursday night, the Last Supper. Our Lord was crucified Friday afternoon, less than 24 hours. No wonder he wanted to talk to his disciples 
and explain more to them. And it's, it, in some ways it strikes us as strange. The, the first thing he says, look at verse 31. When he had gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man himself glorified, and God is glorified in him. The first thing he says, it talks about, is glory. Facing all this shame and degradation and ugliness, he talks about glory. And earlier, when the Greeks came and he said, the time has come, he goes on, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, that's hard to get your head around. There are some students here, they, as Damien unkindly pointed out to them, that they were still here and their life is a doddle with all these holidays. Well, okay, that's true. Uh, I might be even less kind, but, but there we are. Uh, the, the, the students, think of when you're going for the first time. You're leaving home. You're going across the water, or you're, you're going to get a job somewhere. And mum's a bit weepy, you know, uh, because the chicks are leaving the nest. Some of us remember that ourselves. Okay, so, so you, you, you try to give the broader picture. This is a hint for those who'll be going, hope to go next year or whenever. Try and give the broader picture and say something. Well, now, re relax. Think about the good education I'm going to get. It will help me to get a good job, and you're always talking about me going out and getting earnings at my living. I'll meet new people. I'll get well-established for my future. And then you can try saying this to your dad. And dad, think about it. I'll soon be financially independent. He won't believe a word. So, so, so try, and dad, think about it. You'll get the bathroom back. And he'll say hallelujah about that. You're, you're giving the broader picture. Jesus is giving the broader picture. And the broader picture is this. What, see, what we see as shameful, as horrible, as totally unattractive, our Lord's trial, his scourging and beating, his suffering, and his death on the cross. What we see as ugliness in the extreme is, with the eyes of God, glorious. Glorious. Time and again, when he refers to the cross, the first thing he talks about is its glory. Because here, the love of God was expressed in a perfect, complete way. He was going to the Father. And that would be glorious. But the way to the Father 
God himself bearing the sins of the world because he loved the world so much. That was, that is, that forever will be glorious. And that puts, as he tried to get uh, the, the disciples to see, that puts his sufferings and indeed their sufferings in context, in context. I'll say no more about this because when we come to John 17, uh, John 17 and his prayer begins, verse 1, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. So Jesus starts by giving them the, the bigger picture of the events in the next, uh, the next day and then the next few days because he'll rise again. And, and having given the bigger picture, he gives them a new commandment. Can't you see it there? Verse 33. Uh, verse 34. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men that will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A picture of glory a, a command to love one another, which is the strongest evidence for evangelism. When people see the people of God loving one another, that's what is attractive, as they see the love of Christ in us. But the disciples, the only thing the disciples heard, that all flew past them. The only thing they heard was verse 33. My children, uh, it, it's a very uh, intimate form our Lord uses here. Doesn't use it anywhere else in John's gospel. So some of the versions have, my dear little children. It, it's that kind of intimate expression. I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going you cannot come. Now, that's what they focused on. What? You're going? We're going to be on our own? They couldn't make head nor tell of that. And throughout our passage, we have them, uh, three of the disciples, and later on in chapter 14, a fourth, asking Jesus questions. Simon Peter, as always, he was the first. Uh, verse 36, where are you going? Verse 37, why can't I follow you? Or Thomas, chapter 14, verse 5, you say we know the way? How can we know the way? Or Philip, show us the Father, verse 8 of chapter 14. Show us the Father and that will be enough for us. They are confused. They are troubled. They are anxious. They don't know what to do. They are at their wit's end. And so we come to chapter 14 and verse 1. And Jesus says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. 
The first thing I, I want to point out is this, that Jesus calms troubled hearts. He calms troubled hearts. Now, the disciples weren't the only ones who were troubled. Earlier in John's Gospel, we read that Jesus was troubled. In verse uh, 27 of, the, of chapter 12, uh, what does he say? He says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. But his heart was troubled. And then in chapter uh, 13, we read verse 21. Jesus, when he thought of Judas's betrayal, was troubled in spirit. So here we have Jesus in, verse, in chapter 12, troubled in heart, and in chapter 13, troubled in spirit. Now, what does that say to us? Well, that says to us this. It isn't a sin to be troubled or worried or anxious. It's not a sin. It's not a sin. Why is it not a sin? Some people think, oh, I, I shouldn't be worried. I know I shouldn't. Oh, I'm such a bad person. It's not a sin because Jesus never sinned. And yet, on these occasions, he was troubled and anxious. He went through it, but he was troubled and anxious. And what's the, the antidote to anxiety and, and worry? Well, it's to verse 1 of chapter 14, to trust in God, to trust in God. I, I, I uh, don't text very much. No, let me rephrase that. I hardly ever text. I can't work the machine. But I, I do email, and I feel very proud that I can do that. But I have a problem with emails. Letters are easy. You start letters with dear so-and-so, and you finish them with yours sincerely, yours faithfully, yours whatever. How do you start emails? Well, most people who send me emails start them saying with, hi, Bill. Now, I'm not a hi person. I don't mind other people hiing me, but I'm, I'm not a, a hi person. Are you a hi person? Anybody over, well, I won't say what age, it's a bit unseemly to be a hi person. So I start my emails, good morning or good afternoon, or, or sometimes I just don't even bother and say whatever, you know, the name, and on I go, get on with it. Uh, and, and how do you finish them? You, well, you don't say you're sincerely. Some people, uh, I, 
say cheers. Well, that, that, that sounds like something you would say in the local hostelry, you know. But if, sorry, who, I'm looking here to see who's here, to see if some of the cheers are, yeah, say what you want. I'm, yes. I have a friend, and in his emails and in his letters, he finishes like this. In his grip, John. In his grip, John. Now that is terrific. That is terrific. Because he's known his share of life's ups and downs, haven't we all? And what keeps him going is the assurance that he's in his grip. Wonderful. And in this passage, what are we told? We are told to trust in God and to trust in Jesus. And then we're given reasons for this, to strengthen our faith. Because, verse 2, Jesus is going to prepare a place. Jesus is going to prepare a place for you. And note the the number of times you we find here. Uh, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You, you, you. Jesus is concerned for you. And he's preparing a place. It's not a mansion. The authorized version talks about the mansions. And we have great songs that sing about mansions in glory. The word uh, doesn't mean a mansion. It just means a a room, a resting place. But it's a place for us. And that is our Christian hope. Anxieties, trials, testings, but a place. But today we're not so interested in heaven. Why? Because we're too comfortable on earth. We're too comfortable on earth. Isn't it true? And sometimes the Lord gives us a shake-up. We face a crisis in life of all kinds. Sometimes we face a crisis of faith, and he's shaking us up. Health is a bit dodgy. Well, I know that helps to sharpen the focus of life. The rest of you know that too. It sharpens the focus. He has prepared a place for us. And he's promised to return. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. There's the promise of 
a person and a presence. And then we come to the last wonderful thing I want to point out this morning, which is this. Well, what about all of this? How does this happen? What do we do? Where do we go? And Jesus says, Thomas, we don't know the way. How can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Earlier, Jesus had shown the way. Remember when he washed the disciples' feet? He says, this is an example for you to follow. He showed us the way and the example we were given. He, he showed the way. And at the beginning of this passage this morning, he teaches the way. A new command I give you, that you love one another. He's giving teaching. So we're being shown and we're being taught but there's even more. Jesus doesn't only show and teach. All Christian teachers and preachers are to follow his example and do that. But what we can never do and never say is what he says. That he not only shows and teaches, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I confess I can't get my head around that. I can't understand that fully. How is he the way? Well, and the truth and the life. Well, what it highlights is that to go on the way is to be with Jesus. And the Christian path is Primarily, a relationship with a person because he is the way. That's why he said earlier, you believe in God, believe also in me. Trust me, have faith with me. That is the key thing, having a relationship of trust with Jesus. And not only is he the way, he is the only way. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way. Now, modern society doesn't like that. We like to think there are many ways, and we're all going on our own way and we'll all get there in the end. And that's uh, lovely, uh, a lovely thing to say, but it's not in accord with scriptural truth. Jesus is the only way. And some of us, some of us say, yes, but but we're going to try our way. And our way is to do the best we can. And sure, at the end, the fellow upstairs will say to us, okay, because he's a decent one. 
Well, again, that's nice, but it's not what Jesus says. No one comes to the Father but by me. I must conclude. I spend some of my time, not enough because I don't see them enough, but with my grandchildren, and sometimes we do these mazes. You know what a maze is? There's a, it's a diagram with various paths, and there's some kind of treasure at the center, and you have to go down all these things with your pencil, and most of them are dead ends. But if you can find the one, that the right one, with all the twists and turns, you get the prize. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Well, now, <clears throat> and sometimes you almost get the prize, but the final corner leads you not to the treasure, but to a stone wall. You can't go any further. You've gone the wrong way. And I find that uh, either my, my grandson has done it several times, so he, he always does the ones with me that he's going to get first. You know, that's what they do with grandfathers. And even if you, uh, if he's not doing well, you deliberately, well, we won't get into uh, psychology of that. The point is, there's only one way. You don't have to be intelligent You don't have to be uh, well-educated. You don't have to be multi-talented. You just have to be obedient and trusting. For he and only he has gone to prepare a place, is coming back to receive his own to himself. And he says... Trust in God and trust in me. Let's pray. Lord, your love, your mercy, your sacrifice is a thing full of wonder. It is wonderful. And so much we cannot fathom how through all the ugliness and suffering you are glorified. But what we do understand is the simplicity of the response you require by your Spirit. Work in all our hearts. Those that are troubled those that are complacent, those that are dormant and asleep. Lord, work in all our hearts. Lead us to Jesus, to trust in him for his glory's sake. Amen.